Hello, I'm Paddy Delaney, and welcome to Integrated Infrastructure, a podcast dedicated to bringing you news and views from industry leaders involved in the development, design, construction, and management of the many built forms that make up Australia's integrated infrastructure. This is episode 15 of Integrated Infrastructure, and this week I'm talking to Jeremy Blackwell, General Manager of Building, Airports and Defence at Lang O'Rourke. Jeremy is a highly energetic and inquisitive individual, and offers us advice, experience and ideas from a career that spans a diversity of roles, sectors and locations. This week we talk about how Jeremy went from being a metropolitan planner in the public service to working for a global building and infrastructure contractor. We talk about leadership and how authentic leadership principles are driven from the top in Langer Rock. We talk about diversity and Jeremy's own personal experience. We talk about how far the industry has come and how much further we need to go in diversity to create a more sustainable industry. We talk about different contracting models and Langer Rock's success with the W2B delivery partnership and the New South Wales Bushfires Make Safe and Clean Up program. Amongst other things, we talk about the benefits of collaboration in these contracts the opportunity in manufacturing, and the legacy benefits these types of contracts generate for others. Finally, Jeremy tells us why he's excited about the future, and specifically the confluence of urbanisation, infrastructure, and the digital world. There's much more in the podcast, so jump in and listen. I hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Please like, share, comment, and subscribe if you do. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Jeremy. Jeremy, welcome to Integrated Infrastructure. Thanks ever so much for joining me on the podcast today. Great, Paddy. Great to be here. Fantastic. Um, look, as you know, we're a short form podcast, so we try and keep the pace going. Um, why don't you start us off with, um, um, tell us a bit about yourself, who you are and um, who you work for and what you do. Yeah, so I'm General Manager for Buildings, Airports and Defence uh, at Langerorg. And in effect, that's uh, covering those market sectors uh, all pre-contract. Um, the sector strategy, the clients, the pursuits, and then obviously getting into the tenders itself. So that's where I fit within the business. Fantastic. And you've been there for a couple of years now, is that right? Yeah, it's actually approaching um, five, actually. So, uh, wow. sorry, okay. uh, yeah, uh, four heading towards five. So, uh, yeah, Brilliant. it's an exciting time. And um, let me ask you, how um, how did a metropolitan planner come to work for a global um, building and infrastructure um, contractor? Yeah, um, well, firstly, my background um, started off in the public sector, actually, with Brisbane City Council, and that was in urban renewal, and that was quite an exciting time. And then it finished up um, leading a new metropolitan city plan implementation. So quite a different perspective, pretty, um, I would say, but yeah. then moved into consulting. Um, the, pre, the old firm, PPK, heading into PB, and that's the precursor to WSP in Australia. And um, look, um, exciting and different opportunities around technical, operational, and then business development roles. I think one recurring theme within my PB experience was being in Brisbane, Sydney, Sunshine Coast, Brisbane, Melbourne, then back to Sydney. So geographic diversity together with a lot of role diversity across different market sector leadership roles that included property, government, oil and gas, um, and non-transport sectors at the, at, at the end. So it was quite a diverse background. And I think the theme from that career leading into where I am at the moment has been about taking opportunities, uh, both geographic and also uh, technical opportunities, and then 
moving outside my comfort zone. Yeah, fantastic. I get the impression that you're a naturally inquisitive person, enjoys enjoys looking at different new sort of shiny things and getting stuck in. I do. And 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 uh and so in a sense, how did I get here? Well, it is that inquisitive nature. And um, I do ask different questions and I take the opportunity. And I like actually getting to know clients' businesses and getting um, deep in, uh, understanding from which we can then prepare and hopefully tailor different solutions that are quite um, unique to that client. And my own personal interest is as an urbanist and, and I have a passion for infrastructure, a passion for the built environment, and, of, and, um, and I believe in trying to make um, places, um, urban places, more livable. And um, in my role, I think I can help create that. And there's a strong affiliation with people. I'm a natural extrovert. And, and so working with clients or working with tender teams and the like is just a natural extension of that um, personality, I, I, I would think. Yeah, brilliant. And I can see how that um, um, that desire to um, um, be inqui- in- inquisitive um, and challenge and do new things and find new solutions, is um, it plays very well to the Lango Rourke. Um, culture and philosophy, doesn't it? Yes, and um, and I was asked to join Langer Orc when the Lang, um, when the business decided to take a more strategic approach mm. to client engagement and to its work winning function. And I was particularly attracted by being family owned, a very flat structure that drives accountability, and the business has a strong focus on on modern methods of construction, um, mm. and, and that is particularly interesting. And we've got. Across the industry, there's a range of huge quantity of very smart people who design, deliver our our projects. But you don't put me on a site. That's particularly high risk. (laughs) And my natural habitat is probably um, working with clients and uh, seeking to understand, as I said, you know, their business and then Mm. fostering a more innovative technical solution and framing those solutions within a a lens of client centricity. and, And that's that's where I operate and, and, uh, and that's where I add value. Yeah. Fantastic. And, um, um, we, we don't know each other very well. Um, we've just got to know each other recently and I picked up, um, um, a post that you had put on LinkedIn, um, specifically about leadership. I think it was on the wear it purple day. Um, and you, um, referenced something that somebody, something that happened internally, but then wanted to recognize those people that you felt had been fantastic leaders and, and mentors for you, which, um, which I thought was just wonderful. And, and, and it got a lot of, um, a lot of attention and also some, some great compliments about you personally as well and your style of leadership. Um, I'm, I'm keen to, um, 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 understand what, um, what does leadership look like to you from a, an industry and, and sort of from an individual perspective? Yeah, I think you need to start off with the, the premise that people are the most important asset within a business and, and mm. within construction, what we ask our people to do and to go out and deliver is highly complex, often with a high um, safety profile attached. And uh, we, we have to make sure that we're a people-focused business and a people-focused industry. And that then means that it's about getting to know your people. Um, those who report to you, but also more, more, more broadly. So that's in understanding and engaging with them, and trying to develop a trusted relationship with with your people. Mm. Um, one of the most important skills in that regard is actually listening. And I don't think, as an industry, we listen enough. 
Um, and, and I think there's a lot of uh, good solutions, good ideas that actually come um, from the bottom up if we pause and listen. Mm. And that's followed then by not judging, and that's uh, also important um, within that people um, context. Yeah. And then it's about setting your people up for success. If you've got a clear plan and a clear roadmap and you set accountabilities and guardrails for people to work within, then people will actually get on and do it and, and they'll get on and prosper. And, I, and, and, uh, and then finally I would say that self-awareness as a leader is important to know where and what that impact that you may have on others. just need to uh, be cognizant of that. And, and as a business, um, I think in these COVID times, which has challenged the industry, but fortunately we've had a licence to operate, um, Langer Walk has taken that thinking and, and deployed it down really to drive a connection to our people. And that's both an emotional or physical connection, but also um, a, a focus on their well-being. Mm. And in my own experience with that, I've had a small team and we started a 15-minute conversation every morning um, simply as a way to check in. And what that created with that very small group of people was uh, it made it okay to ask for help, to put up the hand and ask a question. And that yeah. and very small little gestures can actually go a long way. I found it equally rewarding. It's motivating when you've got people um, eager to have a quick conversation and, and check in on what's going on and who's doing what. And, yeah, and... I think the little things always add up to big things eventually. It sounds great. It, it sounds like that um, uh, that's that comes from the top as well because I've heard um, um, Kyle talk recently about you know no no apologies no no if somebody if a, if a child walks into your Zoom meeting you know it's fine you know it's, yeah, uh, it's absolutely it's, you know um, um, every, every, everybody's dealing with what they're dealing with and um, needs to get through it and and you mentioned authentic leadership in your um, on your post as well. Um, uh, we're in quite a tough industry, aren't we, in, in construction and engineering? And um, sometimes there's quite conflicting um, um, needs and um, priorities. Um, how, how do you maintain that authentic leadership through, um, you know, in, in, in what's quite quite a challenging environment? I think it's um, driven by, as I said, Langerock has a pretty flat structure, so you, you're never two, never two or three steps away from Cahill. Um, and then secondly, there's a lot of open communication, a lot of different channels that can be used. And in a very dispersed environment as we are at the moment, where we have people in across the homes as well as in the office, um, it's, it, it, it's communication and, and connecting to people and checking in. And, and you can do that formally, informally. Um, and then there's also um, a, a framework that sits around that, which is actually having a clear business plan. Mm. And if you have a clear plan, if you've got a clear direction, yeah, yes, you might adjust it, you know, with some externality or some particular shock or, or, or something that's arisen. But if you've got a plan, you can actually stick to the plan, you can communicate the plan and you work the plan. And that's what Lane Walk has been doing over the last four years. We've we've had a very clear plan about where we want to go, and that translates down into the leaders being very clear, and that then translates down to the people actually having strong alignment with that. And um, I think that's resonated strongly. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to come on and talk about some of the projects you've been doing recently, but I, uh, that what you just said there definitely resonates with um, um, with what, what what we've seen sort of out in the markets. It's fantastic. Um, 
we have talked about diversity a lot on the podcast, and I know you you said something that you sort of um, re- referenced in a way in your in your post, and you mentioned your partner um, Chris, um, and um, and then it led us to talk um, 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 after that about sort of all the different types of diversity, um, you know, in, in in the industry at the moment. Um, how how do you see diversity benefiting the industry, and what changes have you seen um, in in the industry in sort of you know in, in your years? Yeah, um, well, f- firstly, just a little bit about me. Yeah, Chris and I have been together for over 20 years now and um, and it's been quite fun. We've worked interstate and we've had seven interstate moves and never left our respective employers um, at that time. So that's been fantastic. But um, drilling down to the leaders, um, you know, there was never actually a label or never actually a, a, a banner or a label or anything put upon what the leaders in both my partner's business, which is Lion, one of the biggest beverage companies mm. in Australia, together with PV at the time, there was never a banner or a label. It was about those leaders actually focusing in on the person, and they uh, they focused on you know help me grow, and they looked at my attributes, my skills, etc. But also they coached. They took the time to coach and challenge, and 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 that is where people can grow. And mm. as I said earlier, if you set people up for success with guardrails, directions, accountability, people will prosper. And uh, that's what they've been, you know, those leaders I've been fortunate to work with have shaped that and implemented that style. And uh, I thank each of them greatly because they've actually helped me look at things differently and move outside my comfort zone and develop and develop as a person and as a professional. Um, I just reflect on one example, and this is going way back to Brisbane City Council back in 1996, hot January, humid day, and my leader was running late to present to the Lord Mayor in Civic Cabinet. And the leader just said, no, no, you go ahead, you start, you do it. You don't need me to start, you just go and do it. And Okay, so presented to the Lord Mayor, who was a particularly grumpy because it's hot and humid, and but you act, but that little action of 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 actually encouraging and having her having confidence in me to go and present in front of uh, the civic cabinet uh, was a tremendous learning exercise and was fantastic. And of course, and it did go well; everything went well. But it was just a little gesture, and and there have been many gestures by many leaders over the years that have actually um, helped on that journey for me. But coming back to diversity within the industry, mm. it's it's way too low and it's not right. I, so I think, and I think something has to change. And um, part of it is, uh, well, now in this uh, pandemic-induced uh, depression or recession that we're in, there is an expectation on this industry, on the construction industry, to help rebuild our economy. Mm. And, and that's to deliver the tens of billions of dollars worth of projects that are coming down the pipeline. And, and that's what our country and our communities need to help us rebuild. But there's one big challenge in all of that, and that is we don't have the resource base, the skilled resource base to deliver those projects. So while there is a pure headcount need, actually to get more people in the industry. I actually think it's more about the opportunity to change the culture of the industry by tapping into different resource pools. Mm. And by doing that, um, we'll actually get 
a, a more diverse group of people into the construction industry. And going back to one of my earlier comments about asking different questions, uh, I've naturally done that because I've come from a different background. I have a different perspective, different experience, different insights. And asking, and, and in a sense, my role as being pre-contract gives me the license to ask different questions and challenge constructively the team and, and ask and 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 keep asking those different questions. So in this pandemic environment and we've got to rebuild, I get a sense that there's a lot of people out in the out in, out in the community who are looking at the construction industry and hopefully they will join today and tomorrow and in future years because we need them. We need them to bring fresh perspectives, bring fresh ideas and fresh solutions and that will actually intrinsically evolve our industry. And when we do that, we'll actually have people the best possible solution will actually be created and that will then benefit our communities far, far better than what they've done in the past. And we will know then that the solution that we're putting on the table is at its best. And I think from a diversity point of view, where we are starting from a low base, that has changed. It has grown, but I think there's more to go. Then mm. we will be at our best when we expand the depth and, and range of voices and perspectives around our collective tables. Mm. That's when we will actually prosper. And finally, I would say as an industry, by, by intrinsically changing, by using more modern methods of construction from old standards and some old outdated thinking, we will actually be able to deliver buildings and infrastructure more efficiently. And through the creation of a modern manufacturing-led construction industry, you actually need a different kind of workforce to make that happen. And then mm. that will actually drive a further evolution inside the industry and it will ultimately improve productivity. Because at the, not only do we have a diversity problem, we've got a productivity problem. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, this is something that I've um, um, touched on a few times, and specifically, I, t I spoke to Paul Ferris about it. Paul, um, uh, he's now, um, I, don't, I don't want to get his title wrong, but I think he's now general manager at Coleman Rail, but he was Lend Lease. But before that, he was um, Langer Rock alumni. And um, um, we were talking about the fact that. Um, yes, we definitely. Sorry, and he came from the UK coal mining industry and, and, and into rail when the coal mining industry shut down in the UK. So he's been, he's had that experience of um, an industry that closed down and then needed to go into one that was diversifying and growing at, at that point in time. Um, but we were talking about actually the, the, the biggest challenge might not be identifying the people that we need to come into the industry. It might not be training the people that we need to come into the industry, but it's actually going to be the um, convincing. Um, a large part of the industry that they can actually recruit and take people on that don't look like the same people that they had yesterday or the day before, the day before that. And, and that that's probably the biggest challenge that there is um, uh, in, in, in diversifying. I think so, and, it's also, and, it, and it means the leaders needing to perhaps step back and uh, reframe their own thinking in terms of those decisions, mm. how they frame a recruitment uh, um, notice or how they uh, frame a particular, all of the little things add up to trying to uh, attract a, a different workforce. And and I think also you can start it at the, at the top 
Um, I certainly in Langerock, there are clear standards and, and, and also clear targets for 2025 to change our leadership profile. But then also at the bottom, like we're actually achieving far greater than 50%, you know, women in our graduate and uh, internship programs. Mm. It's fantastic. And that in its – so I think you can start both ends and hopefully, you know, you can accelerate and compress and, and, and change because the industry needs it and and uh, our clients need it, our communities need it. So yeah. um, I, I think you can st- we can all start by doing some small, small things differently. Yeah, the 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 um, um, the pace of change in terms of um, of, of diversity, whether that's around um, um, gender or um, uh, um, or, or um, a race or any of those other things, um, is it's it's all going in the right direction. There's an awful, there's a, there's just such a, a level of momentum in the industry that that's happening. Um, it's that industry of thought that is, that diversity of thought that might be more challenging. So um, taking somebody who isn't a civil engineer and putting them into a civil engineering environment. And um, well, I, I, I think there will always be the need for the the engineers to be in engineering roles mm. because that's just a core part of engineering um, design and delivery assurance. You actually need that. But there are many roles, there are many functions, there's many other contributions that uh, different people can play, mm. um, and who may not necessarily be the civil engineer or the structural engineer. But when you merge that together with, say, a data analyst or a data systems um, uh, expert, you actually not just report on the physical items, you actually take the power of data to Mm. look at productivity in a different lens. So there's different ways of and different skill sets that I think we should be using. That's just one small example, and we've seen that internally where uh, on our bushfires project we had up to three, you know, three or four people who were working behind the scenes simply on systems and data. Yeah, brilliant. Connecting it, analysing it, interrogating it, looking at it, and then and, – and, but that's actually um, a really important skill set, and I think over time – that example or others will just become commonplace. And there'll be many other different skill sets that we need yeah. as well. So, and, and, and um, But you've got to have an engineering foundation because that's what we're doing. We are actually building the built environment. So yeah, you can't avoid that. Yeah, absolutely. You can complement it with other things. Mm. But the, the, I mean, um, um, I won't labour this point. I mean, um, the, the commercial side of the business has been very good at bringing people from a legal background and then training them up into a more of a commercial um, um, type type individual. Even even adding in the financial side of things, it'd be interesting to see if um, if somebody can think of or, 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 or um, 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 create a way to bring other types of engineers into into um, um, construction yeah. because you know uh, net migration is going down. You know, and um, we're going to have an in, we're going to have a building boom, an engineering boom, and there aren't enough people as it is. Even yeah. you know, so anyway, let's not labour that because um, I was really keen to talk to you about contracts. Um, um, we hear an awful lot about the profitless boom. We hear a lot, an awful lot about risk allocation and contracting arrangements and the incremental steps that seem to be sort of made in in those areas. Um, I don't think we hear enough around the sort of successes of things like managed contracts and, and delivery partnerships. And um, um, 
I know that Lango Rourke specifically have been have had some great projects recently. Firstly, with W to B, um, and then the, um, the the I'm going to get this right. New South Wales bushfires um, make safe and clean up program, um, which um, which I think is as and, and uh, just just coming to its sort of fruition now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, um, I'll, first, I'll, I'll probably start by talking about the industry first and then come down to those those examples, um, Patty. So change is essential and I think, um, you know, perhaps um, change is not needed but transformational change perhaps is what we need. Um, our industry is in poor health and there are a number of key challenges. Um, you touched on a couple and we've discussed a couple of those already. And Australia does need a sustainable industry and uh, and that's to deliver the stimulus that's coming down the pipeline um, but also to deleverage those economic and social benefits that uh, accrue from building an infrastructure. The Australian Constructions Constructors Association just last week released a um, their response to the Infrastructure Australia audit and in that was um, a, a reform agenda that talked about the industry ourselves needing to change. Mm. And we also have to give credit to many public organisations, procuring organisations around the country who have recognised uh, the industry uh, position and have begun to shift. And we just need to, um, we, we encourage that, we uh, applaud that, and we just need that to continue. But as an industry, I think, though, responsibility uh, for change needs to start with ourselves. And no contractor is innocent um, in terms of uh, how, how we've behaved. And we need to look at our own behaviours and we need to change our own behaviours first. And I think then that will then hopefully garner more, more momentum within that, uh, with, with our stakeholders who are also part of our um, project life cycle. But one example, really simple example, is how we label each other. So when we use the term subcontractor, it instantly infers a master-servant relationship. You know, quarantined and you will do this by that and how you know, and it's a really one way. Well, if you swap that word to, to a partner, that opens the conversation to elicit their ideas, you know, at the table together with the head contractor. Well, we all have ideas. The ideas are just not contained within one individual or, or one firm. So I think everyone listening to this podcast can actually make one simple change, and that, and that could be let's start by using different labels. Mm. One, and there's going to be others, but we need to look at ourselves to drive change. Um, Langer Orc delivers a range of projects um, using different models across the country. Um, however, just in this example, you've touched on two projects and the delivery partner and the managing contractor are particular uh, examples, and they're and they're very interesting, and they're also very rewarding for everyone who's involved. So, in terms of W to B um, as a delivery partner, located in northern New South Wales, the four plus billion dollar project, it is a intrinsically a very highly collaborative form of contract mm. and delivery model. And it's got a very unique blend of both having the contractor program management attributes together with managing contractor regime. And the delivery partner was engaged very early and upfront within that scheme 
And the focus of the delivery partner was around optimising the infrastructure solution. And you can do that when you actually have scale to actually focus on. And one area, one, one example was how we drove standardised elements into the design. So, for example, there were, there's over 2,200 bridge precast elements. They were standardised and that allowed for centralised procurement, centralised production, standard installation methods when you got to site, and then that drove significant program cost safety benefits. But also it will lead into a more efficient whole-of-life maintenance perspective on, on, on those assets as well. And those efficiencies and those benefits in the design and also in the approval phase and then cascading into delivery, you can't they're just non-existent using a more traditional adversarial form of contract. Mm. Um, that's just one example of, of, of W2B being a very, um, you know, strong um, example of a collaborative form of contract. And, and that's, and that's Another, a good example. That's a good example of what you were talking about manufacturing as well, weren't you? About you know looking at construction to manufacturing process. That absolutely is a great example of that as well, isn't it? Yeah, and we and we see that changing, and we see that growing within the industry, and we want the industry to evolve to being more uh, a, a manufacturing construct manufacturing led construction industry. Mm. Bit of a mouthful, but that 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 in itself will act, changes the paradigm of what we do and how we do it. Uh, the bushfires, um, different model again, managing contractor, and we can all appreciate in January 2020, uh, only nine months ago, tremendous bushfires. There was a drought last year. There still is a drought in Western Australia, in Western parts of the country. You know, a, a tremendous um, impact on communities um, and the natural environment from that bushfire. Mm. Um, disaster really and if that community recovery response required a fast track procurement and all accolades need to go to New South Wales Public Works Advisory for being courageous in adopting a fast track procurement that was all done and dusted within a week mm. and then actually having a form of contract that was that's appropriate highly appropriate for this form of work. And, and so they need to be uh, recognised for, for, their, for their decisions. The project has been delivered in, in what would say we're very proud to call a genuine partnership. Mm. And we work very closely with PWA. Our members were embedded. Some of their staff were embedded within our team and we're actually, you know, fostering that, uh, that, that close working relationship, which, which is fantastic. And because of this model, we've actually been blown away by the capability and the professionalism of, of the tens of small businesses at much lower levels in the supply chain. So we were able to clear 3,500 properties in less than 200 days and we engaged over 90 small businesses, small and medium-sized businesses. And 99% of them were local or regional to regional New South Wales, which is absolutely mm. fantastic. And we were able to deliver this because we had a very collaborative form of contract and we're actually accessing a whole different level of the supply chain that's got latent capacity. Mm. So if 
we are able to access uh, that that market capacity if we look at a different for procurement route and form of contract. And that's what I'll be encouraging different delivery agencies, procuring agencies around the country. We have a challenge, but there's an opportunity. And you can access that opportunity by using a different form of contract, a different procurement route. And coming back to these local businesses, they actually challenged us to rethink some of our processes, our systems and tools. So we've learned, we've simplified, standardised, put it through a digital portal, and we they shouldn't need to change. We need to change to enable to access them. And we mm. did, and we did that successfully. And again, um, an outstanding result in Indigenous employment with um, you know over forty million of direct Indigenous procurement, um, over one hundred and eighty or thirteen percent of the workforce were Indigenous, um, blowing away all of the targets that were that were th- that were expected. And we've been able to help supercharge that economic recovery in these regions. And by, and, I, and I think we can all learn from that. And as I said earlier, by looking at a different model, a different procurement route, mm. uh, and, being able, and being willing and able to listen and learn from who you're working with, there's actually a legacy that comes out of it. And one of the legacies, there have been many, but one of the legacies has been that those small businesses that were engaged have got new skills, new capability. Um, maybe it's a safety system, maybe it's an environment management system or whatever. They've picked up that capability and now they're ready for hopefully a bigger project in the future. Mm. And that is a skills legacy that you get. And the managing contractor really drives that hard and, and is quite an efficient model in getting those um, big benefits. And I'd also finish by saying the defence managing contractor suite of contracts um, really provides industry leadership um, and and is probably best practice because you've got the detailed and rigorous planning phase, which is where design is developed from behind 5% all the way through. You've got strict gateways. You've got strict accountabilities. And that drives assurance and it drives control and particularly to time and cost and quality outcomes that the owner is seeking. And then in, deli- in, in delivery, big focus on collaboration, innovation, driving local industry participation and also workforce development. And that's where you, that's where you can put targets on diversity. Going mm-hmm. back to an earlier conversation, you can put targets into a DP, a managing contract, formal contract, and drive it to get different outcomes. Mm-hmm. Under a more traditional hard dollar form of contract, um, you can, but it's probably not as efficient to do that. Yeah, and your drivers are different. Um, it, it, you, you mentioned defence there. It's something that we're very busy with at the moment, which um, I, I think uh, the government as a whole has done, um, the federal government has done a fantastic job at, at, at accelerating those um, uh, those programmes of work. And um, um, we're very thankful of, 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 for it as a business. I can, I can say that, um, which is which, which is great. And, and we're thankful um, too because we're, we're mm. seeing that across the country with projects yeah. um, and defence are regional. They are located across the country. There's a direct nexus between Commonwealth expenditure and boots on the ground, literally. Yeah. Um, so we applaud what defence is doing and, uh, and they're taking a leadership position 
um, on a range of fronts, and we applaud that uh, and, and and thank them for doing that as well. Yeah, likewise, absolutely. Um, look, we're a short form podcast. I just want to, f- f- firstly, before I ask you this final question, just say thank you. Thank you ever so much for coming on and jo- joining me on the podcast. Um, um, it's great to hear about your background, about your experience, your thoughts about the industry, and about Lang O'Rourke as well. So, um, really appreciate your, 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 you spending the time with us this morning. Um, just as a, as, as a final question, it's the one we always uh, end on, um, and um, we're always interested to know, um, you know, what, what, what our guests are excited about at the moment. What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to the future, Patty, um, because in the future there's – I see a future for our cities, um, in particular the confluence of both urbanisation, infrastructure and digitalisation will actually transform place and how we live, work and play. That's exciting and the construction industry is at the centre of that by converting the theory into the practical built environment and that's the built environment for tomorrow. So that's what I'm um, really excited about. Yeah, fantastic. Um, we chose not to use built environment as a phrase on the podcast. We went for integrated infrastructure, funnily enough. <laughs> um, thank you, Jeremy. I've really enjoyed talking to you today and um, um, hopefully we can come back and have a chat to you again in the future and, um, and, and, and um, see if some of these thoughts about, uh, about the industry have, um, have come to fruition. I'm sure that um, some of them certainly will. So thank you ever so much and um, um, talk to you again soon. Cheers, Patty. Integrated infrastructure is powered by NorthSearch, specialists in executive and technical search across engineering, design, construction, property, and energy markets in Australia. If you'd like to find out more about NorthSearch or get involved with this podcast, you can click on the links in the show notes or email me directly at the address on the screen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Integrated Infrastructure. Please tell your friends and colleagues if you did, and we hope to see you again soon.